Welcome to Kingdom.Think. Today we're covering 1 Kings 7-8, Proverbs 2, 2 Corinthians 4, and we are Kingdom.Think. We're reading the Bible every single day to finish this Bible in one year, and we can just ideally see who we are, know who we are, and change our identity. That's the cool part about reading the Bible every day. Um, and honestly, see the principles of God and know what's our inheritance. So we have, because ultimately, we're the ones with the superpowers. And it's right here, written in the word. So here we go. You know what I love about Proverbs? And it's always very exciting because I get to just read it straight away. And it's just, it's Solomon's amazing wisdom. And I love Proverbs because it's so straightforward. A lot of times people will just pick one verse out of a chapter and just hang on to that one and they'll memorize it and repeat it. So go ahead and do that. <clears throat> but for this thing, for for what we're doing, we're going to read the whole chapter and then you can go back and find your favorite verses, that kind of thing. So we're in chapter two. It says, um, it's the moral benefits of wisdom. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and stretch for it as for hidden treasures. So in other words, if you search for insight and understanding to the same intensity that one would search for a hidden treasure or silver, like this fascination, this intensity, then you'll get it. So he's saying, that's how much I want you to pursue insight and understanding. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in stone. No, I'm sorry. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he is a guard he guards the course for the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Love that, right? Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of the wicked men, from men whose words are perverse who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perversiveness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman, woman with the seductive words, who has left the, their partner of their youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirit of the dead. None who go to her path, go to her return or attain the paths of life. Yikes. Wow. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep the paths of the righteous for the upright will live in their land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. So this passage in chapter two is about the moral benefits of wisdom. So what he's saying is you need to pursue wisdom. I once heard a quote um, many years ago from this business conference. He said, if you desire wisdom with the same intensity that you desire to breathe, then nothing will stop you from getting it. Isn't that cool? 
um, with the same intensity that you desire to breathe. So imagine being, I know there's that um, like story of someone who held, he it was a mentor who held his mentee's head under the water and then he would bring him up and then the mentee would say, why are you doing this? I can't breathe. And he pushed him down again and held him and held him and held him and held him. And then he pulled him up and he was gasping for air and he said, you have to desire wisdom with the same intensity that you just desired to breathe. So that gives you insight what that means. So because we can't, we need to have wisdom inside of us so that the decisions we make are almost habitual or automatic or they're just who we are. Wisdom is who you are. Otherwise, you you confront an obstacle and you have to decide, okay, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? Should I not do it? That's difficult, especially if it's in a moment. But when you have wisdom, you know, um, it's just who you are. It's just how you make decisions. And that's why Solomon's trying to tell people to do that. Let's move on to 2 Corinthians 4. So we have Paul still talking to the people of Corinth. And, you know, this is an interesting chapter that I love. One of the things I love about Paul when he's talking to this, in this particular book, is he's, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he's not afraid to talk about the spirit realm. Honestly, most pastors today are afraid to talk about the spirit realm. We talk about the Bible. We talk about the do's and don'ts of how you should live. We talk about Jesus dying on the cross, but not the spirit realm. And so Paul isn't afraid to talk about this. And I'm going to actually just jump down real quick to chapter four, uh, um, to verse, verse 16. Yes. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. So our body is dying. We know that. Yet inward, inward we inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is what is unseen since what is unseen is temporary but what what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, because I stumbled, I'm going to re- read that again. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us the eternal glory that far outweighs them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So good, right? He's telling these people, you keep dwelling on the things of this world, this this third dimensional reality we live in. And I'm telling you, it's wasting away, it's dying. This life will end, but your eternal life will be forever. And it's what it's the unseen, it's the spirit. So he's trying to wake them up to the fact that yes, you have a spirit. And it will live on forever. So I'm going to read another verse. Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. 
Remember in the previous verses, it said, God will deposit his spirit in you. And then that spirit will shine its light through you and people will see it. And people will see the difference. You know, it's yesterday I was talking to um, Danny and we were talking about Chick-fil-A. He says, for some reason, I always crave Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. And um, we just thought it was funny because um, the reason was we were driving past a Chick-fil-A. And he goes, why do I crave Chick-fil-A on a Sunday? So then we just started to discuss, isn't it interesting that a company who takes, it's like he follows the principles, have one day of rest. A company literally is following the principles. So they are open from Monday to Saturday, but they're closed on Sunday. And yet they're the, the far surpass any other, I don't know if it's any other fast food company or any, no, it can't be because McDonald's, but any other chicken company, I guess, in success or sales. But I also said it was really interesting because I bet you people who don't even believe in God, I bet you atheists, people who don't even, um, yeah, don't even believe in God. I bet they love to go to Christian companies like Chick-fil-A or other Christian based companies because they know that these people live by principles. They know their food is not going to be spit on. They know that they're not going to cheat on their ingredients because these people stand by principles. That's what really separates. Yes, the light of God shines through and that's makes people want to be around, but then these people also live with principles, ideally. But, you know, as you'll see in the next chapter that we're going to read, um, yes, everybody sins, all people sin. But for the most part, if you're going to stand behind being a Christian company, you're going to live by principles. So I was saying, yeah, I bet the atheists love to eat at Chick-fil-A. Um, and the only people that are against Chick-fil-A are actually Satan followers who are doing it with intention. But they probably eat at Chick-fil-A too. So I thought that was interesting. Okay, so let's move on to 1 Kings 7 and 8. And these are long chapters. But the cool part is he's just talking in chapter 7. He's going into detail about how how he built his palace. So he already built the temple and the temple took seven years. Now he's building his palace. His palace took 13 years and he's going into great detail about how he built his palace. If you're interested in those kind of details, this is the chapter for you. Um, And then he goes and finds a man who can make bronze. Then he goes into details of all the things that he built out of bronze And then in chapter 8, now that everything's done, now he's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And he does that. And soon as the priests bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, a a cloud, what did it say? I'm going to read it directly. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of, of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their services because the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Um, now remember, this is all before Jesus, or back in the Old Testament. This is before Jesus came onto the scene. So the temple held the spirit of the Lord. Now we know that the spirit of the Lord was everywhere. 
but the people didn't know that. So God had to reveal himself in a way that they could comprehend back in those days before Jesus came onto the scene. This is how he did it. Through Solomon, um, David, Moses. So he's constantly showing himself to his people. But then Jesus came onto the scene where God said, I'm going to show myself to my people once and for all in, in human form. So, and dying on the cross. And probably today, God is showing up to his people. People just have to be able to see it. So then, after that happens, then Solomon prays a dedication over everything. And then he prays for his people. Because remember, Solomon is so full of wisdom. He can he has foresight. Oh my goodness. Um and he starts it off, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servant, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. So he starts off his prayer, acknowledging God. It's great to see how these people of old pray um, because it's such a great pattern. So he's acknowledging God. He's recognizing God. He's praying because often people say, how do you pray? follow the patterns. So he acknowledges and then he prays and worships God. And then he gives his petition, like the second step gives his petition. So he's saying when, when anyone wrongs their neighbor and he's, he's asking them when this happens, when the sins of people happen, can you forgive them? When the people of Israel have defeated, were defeated by their enemies because they have sinned against you, and then when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, um, hear their prayer and forgive their sins of your people and bring them back to the land you gave them. Almost like he knew what was going to happen. Um, when the people, then he moves down, when the, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. And then when they pray out, um, when they pray toward this place give and give praise to your name and turn from their sins because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive them. So he's praying about that. Um, when there's a famine because the people have sinned and then they turn back to you and then they praise you, forgive them. You see, he knows. It's almost a prophetic thing. When this happens and they're sinful and then they turn back to you, hear their prayer, forgive them. And that's exactly what God did in the Old Testament or before this chapter, this book. And he's going to do it in the future. And he's doing it to this day. Collectively, when people are turn away from God and sin like they're doing right now. And then when collectively the people turn back to God, see their sins and repent and cry out to God for forgiveness. He always forgives. Forgive and act and deal with everything according to all you all they do, since you know their hearts. And then it's parentheses. For you alone know every human heart, so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave your ancestors. So fear, remembering, living with such intense honor, such intense reverence, being in that presence. And we've talked about this a million times, that that's what that fear is, just living with such a reverence to God. 
And so it's a long chapter, so we're not going to obviously go over it. We're just reading out bits and pieces. Um, and it talks about foreigners and... Um, Uh, 46, he says, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own land, far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they have been captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, and if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayers and their plea and uphold their case and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all their offenses they have committed against you and cause their captors to show them mercy. For they are your people and your inheritance. I think this is a prophetic word because he knows they're going to be exiled um, and then they're going to return, right? So he's praying for his people, covering them in prayer. I think that's also what a, it's almost a, a representation of what a parent would do. Yes, you can't guarantee your kid's not going to do wrong, but you pray a covering over them that if they do this and then they turn back to you, forgive them, hear their repenting and um, see their change of heart and forgive them. And God always does. So it's, it's almost like the prayer of a parent right? Okay. Um, what else? For some reason, oh gosh, it's such a long chapter. Oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) and may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord, our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. So the Finally, he finished his prayer, his dedication, and then the people all went home. So their people were all listening to this prayer. Interesting, right? That was 1 Kings 7 and 8, Proverbs 2, 2 Corinthians 4. Again, I highly recommend you go back and read, especially Proverbs 2. Remember, there's 31 chapters and usually 31 days in a month and it's worth reading one Proverbs per day. Let it change you. Um, let it transform your character so that you grow in wisdom. Super cool, right? First Kings 7 and 8, Proverbs 2, 2 Corinthians 4. I hope you enjoyed that. And you go out and make it a great day. And um, just keep pondering on the idea that wisdom is that important. And you want to pursue wisdom all the days of your life. All right, make it a great day. See you tomorrow.